We want to read our scripture lessons today. Uh, the first one is found from Psalm 119, verses 97 through 104. You're welcome to follow along in your Bibles if you like, or in a pew Bible. If you don't have a regular Bible, you're welcome to use one of those. The page number is listed there, or simply sit back and listen. Listen here to God's Word. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever mine. I have more insight than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged because I have observed your precepts. I have restrained my feet from every evil way that I may keep your word. I have not turned aside from your ordinances, for you yourself have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, yes, sweeter than honey to my mouth. From your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Amen. Our epistle reading is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 14 through 24. You'll recognize a number of these uh, injunctions. It's toward the end of the epistle. And uh, the Holy Spirit through Paul is just giving some general exhortations on how to conduct our lives. Listen here to God's Word. We urge urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. See that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophetic utterances, but examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good, abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he who calls you, and he also will bring it to pass. Amen. Then our gospel text, which is our uh, Christmas text today, is Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Again, listen here to God's Word. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when she had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall, name, shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. Amen. Well, I'm going to ask you to pass your, your quote, Liebet sheets to the aisle and we'll have ushers coming down to pick those up. While they pick them up, I'm going to make my way into the, into the pulpit. They're going to bring them up to me and then we'll get started on today's sermon. We have enough here for today. 
all of today <laughs> till midnight, but uh, we won't get through all these. We never do. Let me mix them up a little bit so we know that uh, we don't know where they come from or from whom they come or which side, because you saw the people when you brought them up at certain times and who might be where. I'm an old card dealer from way back, so that's not a problem to shuffle them a little bit. Let's bow our heads and pray. Gracious God, we are so aware of our humanity, of our fallenness, of our inability to see all that needs to be seen, all that really is. And we ask for you, Lord, to give us, well, to open the eyes of our hearts, to understand and receive your word of truth, and Lord, to know all that we need to know to live faithfully, fully, obediently in this life. So Lord, as we consider these questions today that come from us, from your people here gathered in this congregation, we pray, Lord, for you by your Holy Spirit uh, to bring a word that's right and good for each one here. Uh, we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's see what we got. Homeschool, public school, and private school, what is your opinion on them? We start off with an easy one. Uh, I think that and uh, what we've experienced, my wife and I, we raised six kids, and our kids did all three of those options. We did public school, we did uh, private school, we did homeschool. We did homeschooling the longest for 15 years. When we say we, my wife. I did a little bit, she did a lot, okay? Uh, I think as, as uh, time goes on and our culture continues to deteriorate, that it's be increasingly difficult uh, to, in public schools to, to uh, not be severely challenged in your faith and what you believe just by what's taught there. But uh, no matter where you go in the world, that's going to be true. So you have to, you have to figure out where that is. Uh, private schools, Christian schools, uh, they'll have the same issues sooner or later down the road as well, as will homeschool. Because what's the big problem with education? The fallenness of humanity, the, our inborn sin nature, and we have to have a teachable spirit. And so if you have a teachable spirit before God, and you have a little bit of discernment, no matter where you go, you'll be okay. Now, you may experience different levels of uh, opposition or difficulty, depending on where you are, but uh, we don't, there, there are some churches that emphasize one of these or the other. We don't emphasize any one above the other. We're glad to, to uh, encourage parents to make sure you know what your kids are learning. Oh, homeschool versus public school. Someone did all these in the same, they put in like eight different ones, I bet same one. Let's see if it's all the same. Uh, if we can't lose our salvation, why does Revelation 3, 5 uh, suggest being able to have your name erased from the book of life? Remember when we preached through that, I think it was a few weeks ago, uh, I said, was that a, a threat or a promise? If you remember, that's what I said when we talked about that verse. And I think that's a promise. I don't think that's a threat. I think that's a promise that God says, don't worry, I'm going to keep you and your name will not be erased. You know, that's not possible for that to happen in God's record book. Just what we read this morning from, from Matthew 1, uh, he will save his people from their sins. Now, did he come and save his people or did he not? Did Jesus accomplish redemption or did he not? Well, he did. How much did he do? He did it all. You and I don't give anything for our redemption. We receive it. Now, we have to live. We, we're gonna, there's going to be consequences that flow from that. But so, the, the Revelation 3, 5, my answer to this is the same that I, when I preached on that, some a few weeks ago now, is that I think that's a promise, not a threat. 
what is the difference between Israelite and Hebrew, and why is one term used over the other? Uh, there's really no difference at all. It's just like uh, there are synonyms, and so they refer to the same group of people, the people who we know as Jews. You can call them that, all right? Uh, so there, there's, there's, and the way, why is one term used over another? I don't think uh, it, it goes too far. It stretches biblical uh, credulity to say that, that when one term's used over the other, that there's a demeaning of one or the other. Uh, there is, are exceptions to that. I'll give you one. This morning, if you do the St. James Daily Readings, you would have read Susanna. Now, you probably don't have Susanna in your home, but we have a, a, a Bible that has Susanna in it. If you read Susanna, uh, when uh, Daniel is the guy, young guy who comes in and uh, shows that she's innocent of what's been charged, he says, well, she's a daughter of Israel, or a daughter of Judah, not a daughter of Israel. And so there was this big thing where, where there was differentiation between the tribes, and they had rivalries. And there you see the Judites were down on the Israelites, the guys from the northern kingdom. But that's not ordinarily the way it's just used. Uh, they're synonyms. How is it that the Holy Spirit dwells in me? Does it replace my own spirit, my inner man, or live alongside? The Holy Spirit dwells in you through faith and by the special action of God. None of us are born with the Holy Spirit. Uh, God gives us that. He, when He converts us, we're saved, we're made new by the Holy Spirit. And He, he lives right exactly in the midst of all of us. It's sort of like... I would put uh, like, like a fragrance that comes into a room and the, the fragrance is not, now this is a poor analogy, but it's an analogy. The fragrance does not become part of the, the, uh, the does not replace the wood or does not replace the, the carpet. It, 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 it's in all of that, it's, it's there. And so the Holy Spirit dwells in all of us. And so we read this morning that, that uh, in 1 Thessalonians 5, 24, yeah, that May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept complete till the day the Lord returns. So the Holy Spirit's interested in all those parts of your being, your spirit, your soul, and your body. He wants you to glorify God with all parts of your being. And so uh, it does not replace your spirit, but it sanctifies your spirit. It sanctifies your body. It sanctifies your soul, that is your mind, your emotions, those things. When I say sanctify, we know that sanctification is a progressive thing. Uh, so we grow in our in, in what will allow our bodies to do and not do, we grow in, in there's some places that I went in my early years as a Christian, which I would not go again now. There are, there are things I read back then that I would not read now because I've, I've grown in this. And there's things I do now that I wouldn't do back then. So, so you, you grow in, in sanctification and your Holy Spirit does not replace you ever. That's, here, where's Jim? Uh, that's mysticism, where you're gonna, you're gonna get, you'll get yourself replaced and, and say, get, get out of here, empty your soul <coughs> that God may live. No, God wants you, spirit, soul, and body. So it doesn't replace. And how does it, uh, live, a, how does it live within you? It's a miracle of God. It's that simple. You can't explain it. Uh, and you can't make it happen. It's a miracle of God. He comes in. God would dwell in us. by his, He does. And it gives us great joy. Hallelujah. Uh, what do you think about the Nephilim and the book of Enoch? Well, there is no book of Enoch that, that we have in our Bible. Uh, there is that in the, the, the uh, 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 Apocrypha. Thank you very much. Who helped me there with that? Someone did. Uh, the Nephilim 
I understand, this goes back to Genesis 6, and uh, then it goes up into 1 Samuel someplace and other places. The Nephilim, I don't think angels ever uh, interacted sexually with human beings. Lots of other religions and cults and stuff think that. And so you have this sort of half-breed, half-human, half-spirit. That's just, that's just wayward thinking. The Nephilim were, 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 were what it says, the sons of God and the daughters of men. That's just godly men, born-again men, if you would, for, from that time, who, who are women, as the case may be, were united in marriage with those who were not. And uh, some of those were great and mighty men. So I don't think the Nephilim, usually when people ask about that, they're wondering if there's some other race, some other category that is like a, you know, it's half human and half angel. No, not true. So uh, we reject all those such notions. Um, why is citizens expurged from the song, Oh, come all ye faithful? Well, now I'd have to sing the song, and I don't know, what's it replaced by? By what? You guys need to speak more clearly. I mean, I, this is horrible. Oh, bright hope? Bright host of heaven. I don't know, just someone felt, felt bad about it. You know? A lot of the words get changed around. They do. And, and uh, we've been guilty of that before. And so someone just said, well, man, we can't say citizens. You know, bright hosts of heaven, right? Well, I don't know. Uh, just someone had their own little peculiarity and it got projected today. How's that for an answer? It's true. It's true. In Psalm 2, verse 7, God says, today I have begotten you. When was today? What day was that? That's a good question. No, it's, and it's answered. It's answered. Uh, it's always day for the Lord Jesus Christ. And that today is the eternal day. So when Jesus is baptized, and when Jesus has on the Mount of Transfiguration, and uh, at crucial times in his life, when he's in his public ministry, he's going forward, he knows he's going to go to the cross. God will repeat to him that very phrase, today I have begotten you, you are my son. Jesus of Nazareth did not always exist. Christ, the son of God, the second person of the Trinity, always existed. There never was a time when he was not. And he always existed as the son, eternally equal, and that was the father, but existed as the son of God. So today is the eternal day. Now, there became a, a particular day when Jesus of Nazareth was conceived, and we know it's uh, two natures in one person, and uh, his divine nature always was, his human nature was conceived on that day when the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary, and uh, uh, she became pregnant. Uh, but so, the, the promise that's there in Psalm 2, verse 7, is the eternal day. God always planned to save His people through His Son. When I say God, I mean the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit were in agreement about that. So that's the eternal day. Fair enough? And you'll see that comes up uh, when, when you are my son, today I've begotten you. You know, it's, it says that in, 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 uh, when, he said, when he's being baptized, and then right after the, uh, on the Mount of Transfiguration, as he sets his face to go to Jerusalem to be crucified. He's going to go there. That comes after the Mount of Transfiguration. Will we recognize our earthly families in heaven? Absolutely. 
You'll know one another. Uh, one of the phrases that you always find in the scriptures is that Abraham was gathered to his whom? His fathers. So we'll, we'll know our loved ones. Now the question becomes is will our loved ones be in heaven? Because we're not universalists. We don't believe that everyone goes to heaven. We don't believe in purgatory. We believe there's heaven and we believe there's hell. And the suggestion from Scripture, Luke 16 and other places, is that, uh, that we'll recognize where people are. Uh, and, that, and that's hard for us on this side to see. And we say this by faith. We'll say, yes, indeed, amen, God, you've done everything exactly right with regard to who's in heaven and who's in hell. Now, that's worthy of a weekend seminar, isn't it? But we don't have that long. We only have another 30 minutes and we have to be done. How do we know or don't know that Jesus was born on December 25th? Or was this an approximate date? How, when was this date chosen? Uh, we almost know for certain that Jesus was not born on December 25th. Most people think he was born sometime up in September, in that general area, August or September, sometime in through there. Uh, December 25th uh, was chosen uh, by the church. By the, we talked about this in either spiritual council or consistory this past week. I, I just mentioned it in passing. The early church for the first three and a half centuries did not observe Christmas. Next week, I think it is, we'll have an answer that talks about that, that, that you don't have to observe Christmas. It's good if you do. Uh, but it wasn't until 336, I, if my recollection is correct, where the church began to observe Christmas. And of course, you know, if you're in Ukraine, uh, so John, if you go over to Ukraine and visit the Yagalikas, they don't do Christmas till January the 6th or 7th, something like that, in through there. Uh, so Christmas is an arbitrary date. Uh, that is December 25th. There's nothing sacrosanct about that. But uh, that's when our culture does. And what's right and good is we should honor, respect, and acknowledge that God sent His Son into the world, and it's good to set aside a day to say this has actually happened. It's not just myth. It's not fabrication. Christ, the Lord God, became Jesus of Nazareth and took on human flesh, became incarnate, that He might take our sin away, might save a people for Himself. So uh, that's the quick answer to that one. There's more things, but we'll leave it at that. Uh, would you welcome a same-sex couple into a Sunday service? We would. Uh, we'd have no, well, we'd all be a little bit perhaps shocked at that, but uh, because that's not normality for us, there's, there's, so far as I know, no same-sex couples here today, but we would welcome them here. They would not be able to become members of our church because, again, if you read our new statement of faith that the elders did last year, it's on our website, uh, it'll say why that we think marriage is restricted to a man and a woman, one man and one woman. So we, we don't agree with polygamy, and it says things about it. And we say uh, man and woman, the, the, the statement of faith is specific, says man and woman are defined by whether you have an XX chromosome or an XY chromosomes, okay? So if, if Laura all of a sudden decides that she's a man and she wants to be called Lawrence, we'd say, well, no, she's messed up. Well, that's, that's, a, that's a poor way. To, I should not say that. We say she has. No, it is. It is. Because it, people have, are confused. People, they're all kind of influencers. We just say that, that well, there's something that she needs to, to, to get straightened out. And we, we'll, we limit that. But she, because she has the chromosome she has, she's a female. And uh, uh, if Josh wanted to be called Jessica, say, aha, become a girly, uh, we'd say the same thing with him. All right? So, 
again, those things are spelled out fairly clearly in our statement of faith, which the elders worked on all last year and promulgated in May or June of this year. Uh, do they have birthday parties in heaven? Uh, there's an the answer to that, by the way. The answer is no. Why don't they have birthday days in heaven? Because there's no marriage in heaven. Right? Jesus taught this in Matthew 21. Remember the, the, the woman, the, the Pharisees come in with a question. They say, well, this guy was married, or this woman was married to seven different guys. Whose wife will she be in, in heaven? He says, well, you neither know the power of God nor the scriptures. There is no marriage in heaven. You're like the angels. That means there's no reproduction in heaven. Hence, no birthdays to celebrate. Okay? Next question. Where did you get married? Where was that, Pat? I, I, I have vague recollections of it. It was so long ago. <laughs> and so much has happened. Where did that take place? We got married in the uh, Cameron Road Baptist Church with, who was, what was the pastor's name? Tommy Grozier was the pastor, but he didn't do the wedding for us. So they had a pastor intern who did, Joel something, Joel? Yeah, that's who it was, it was Bob. So, so who knows where it was? I don't remember anything about this, obviously. Austin, Texas. Austin, Texas. My wife is the yellow rose of Texas. That's why when we put flowers in the church, we usually have yellow roses there. We, she wore yellow roses and daisies, right? That's what we have, flowers. So Austin, Texas. Can you explain your experience of when you were baptized in the Holy Spirit? Sure I can. Uh, I, I was born again in August. God came and, and uh, uh, did a gracious work in my life. Uh, again, there's all kinds of theology that comes out of this, but we'll just do the surface stuff. Uh, on the way back from a, from a meeting in uh, Chicago at the Eric Crown Theater where I'd been with my cousin Don, uh, and, on the, and I, I'd gone forward... To, who was the uh, lady with the flowery dress? C Catherine Kuhlman, at a Catherine Kuhlman meeting. And I'd gone forward. I, I prayed to receive Christ, and nothing happened. Ah. I thought the roof would blow off, and nothing happened. And I'm going, <laughs> so we're driving from Chicago back to West Lafayette, Indiana, about a two-hour drive, three-hour drive, depending on what it is. And uh, my cousin was asleep. He's like that. He's asleep. I'm driving, going around Gary, Indiana. And all of a sudden, boom, like that. Uh, I realized I was born again, that God had made me new. And uh, that was wonderful. I've not, I've had doubts about, you sure you meant that, God? I mean, look at what I've done here, what I've done there, you know, but that's not wavered since then. Uh, and then about three months, two months later, uh, I was at our, the church I attended, the Assembly of God Church in, in, uh, in, in Lafayette, Indiana, where Charles Hackett was the pastor. Uh, they had a, uh, a guy in from with the full gospel businessman, I think it was. He was a brethren guy who became a Catholic. And he was a Catholic lay missionary in Mexico. Uh, he's the one who, who sang the song, uh, I cannot come, I cannot come to the banquet, don't bother me now. I have married a wife, I have bought me a cow, I have bills and commitments that cost a pretty sum. Pray hold, excuse me. I cannot come. What was his name? Mishler. Yeah, Dick Mishler. There you go. See, she, what would I do without her? <laughs> and uh, he was there. 
and uh, preaching about all that, a brethren guy raised in northern Indiana who became a Catholic, baptized in the Spirit, and goes down to Mexico as a missionary. He's up there talking to us in Lafayette. And uh, after the service, I stayed around to, to pray and get baptized with the Holy Spirit. And, and uh, they prayed with me, and I did. And the Holy Spirit, and it came out, you know, the first physical manifestation was speaking in tongues, which I still speak in tongues most every day. Most of you have never heard me speak in tongues, but yeah, that's a joyful thing. And it's, it's biblical, and my experience of that was just, just good. And uh, you, can't, you know, people say, well, speaking in tongues is pretty, pretty, uh, uh, pretty out there. You know, you have to have a lot of faith to do that. No, it's, it's elemental. It's sort of like, uh, do, you, do, you use, do you know the letters of the alphabet? A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Yeah. You use those every day when you write. You don't even realize. Well, the Holy Spirit is working in you that same way as well. And uh, sometimes I speak in tongues, sometimes I don't. But mostly I don't where you guys are. So that was, that was for me. And uh, I encourage everybody to ask God to, what well, we believe you're born again of the Holy Spirit, but there's a release. And it may happen right on the, when you're converted, it may happen later on, uh, who knows, but, but I have no problem with, with talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Uh, what is your favorite thing during the holidays to do with your family? Sleep. <laughs> Not true, not true. That's what they would say. Well, there's dad, he's over there sleeping again. You know, you turn on a, whatever we're doing. Uh, I don't know. Uh, certainly having everyone over at Christmas morning and we open up the presents and stuff, that's certainly exciting. I, I think I'd still have to go along with, with, with uh, just eating around the tables with everyone there. Everyone talking. You know, it's cacophonous. It's all kind of noise and uproar. And, you know, you're... Who knows what's going on? That's probably the favorite thing, would be uh, sitting around the table eating, which is okay. I'll think about that and come back if I, how much time we got? Oh, we only got 20 minutes left. How do you handle sexual temptation? When was the last time you were tempted? Uh, I handle sexual temptation. Uh, like you do other temptations, you turn away. You say no. And I think Sexual temptations happen every day to most people. And uh, uh, you can't watch television. You can't open up a newspaper. You can't open a magazine without uh, different things. And that's true for women as much as for men. And you have to say no to that. And so you refuse to, to, to go back a second time. You refuse to think. You go and go the other way. So you resist. Resist the devil and he will flee. And the way you turn away, you have to have something else you turn to. And so ordinarily... Uh, my thoughts will turn to either I'll begin praying for something or I'll, you know, the value of memorizing scripture. So you say, boy, I don't want to get going in that direction. And I'll start in my mind going through Psalm 2 or Psalm 96 or, you know, Psalm 103 or Ephesians 1, 15 through 2, 10 or something that we've memorized. And uh, I ask God, I say, God, thank you that you've made me sensitive to that, that I'm aware I'm being tempted you know, if you're not aware you're being tempted, you can't resist. And I say, Lord, I don't want to go there. Preserve me. And I'm going to go the other way. So that's, that's uh, uh, where that happens. And like I said, the question was, was uh, when was the last time you were, you were tempted? I think you're tempted every day. In one, way, one way or another. Uh, okay. Where in the Bible does it tell you about relationships in heaven? That is, will parents recognize an infant who passed away, or will adult children have 
father-daughter relationships. Uh, I've already referred to Matthew 21, where there's no husband and wife. Uh, I don't think there'll be fathers and sons, fathers and daughters, mothers and daughters, stuff like that. I think we'll all be siblings in the Lord Jesus Christ. So, I think of Hebrews 2 as one passage where it talks about Jesus as our brother. And so, to me, now He's also our shepherd, all those things, but I think passages like that are what indicate how we'll relate in heaven. Uh, That's why the old Baptist or Pentecostal notion of calling everyone in, in your church brother this or sister that is a good notion. Now, we don't do it anymore. It's archaic and stuff like that. But I think that's how our relationship will be. We'll be brother and sister, not father or not parent, child, not spouse. Be brother, sister, so far as I can see. One more question, right? When you meet another man or woman and you see them as a potential spouse, what should you do and how should you go about the situation? Uh, Now, the question becomes, do you see them as a potential spouse right away or down the road? Uh, If you say right away, well, that's true. If you're unmarried and you meet someone of the opposite sex, that's a potential spouse, right? You don't have to think of it that way, but people do from time to time. Uh, What you need to do is do what Adam did. God put him fast asleep and woke him up when Eve was there, right? So, one thing is to say, well, I recognize that that's a possibility, but I'm going to let that go. Now, along the way, he may wake you up and tap you on the shoulder and say, well, maybe this is. You may want to investigate. And so, you want to find out how that person is and what's going on. Uh, but uh, So, there's ways to find that out. But just, just don't let that be the, the foremost thing in your mind. God's able to take care of that. And uh, He knows what to do. He knows timing. He knows everything. So, trust Him. That's the first thing. That's why I said sleep. Trust Him. And then, you know, go into that gently and uh, inquiringly uh, and see if this indeed is a, the, the person that you can commit yourself to and commit to you and uh, go forward from there. All right, we're done. It's five after 11. We usually try to be done by 11. We have a whole bunch of questions here that uh, Dorothy, yours was next. She didn't sign it, but I can recognize her writing. (laughs) You asked about Esther, right? Yep, she did. All right, fair enough. Just so you know. Uh, So, we have all these that are left. So, what I'll try and do is is read through them and uh, usually I categorize them. them, And sometime during the course of the next few months, either write a preach something about them, bring them up, or write a pastor's column about them, but in some way try and respond to these because I appreciate your questions. They're real questions. And I want to respond to them as faithfully as I can. And my answers are not Scripture. Fair enough? I may, I, I undoubtedly did say a lot of things that were wrong today. But I trust that you'll have discernment from God to sort through all that. Let's pray. Gracious God, thank you that we don't know it all. 
Thank you, Lord God, that we know we don't know it all, and so we can walk in humility. But thank you, Lord God, that you teach us and want us to grow in the knowledge of you and of your will and of your word. So, Lord, thank you for all these questions in a variety of ways. Lord, may you, again, give your answers to us, the questions in our hearts and in our minds, in a way that builds us up, strengthens our faith, and helps us become uh, fluent in the things of God. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen.